Okay, Jesse, I'm still reeling about last week's mom victim. What do you have for me this time around? An aspiring model survives two days of sexual assault and torture at the hands of an obsessed coworker. When she bravely reports him to the police, it seems like a day of reckoning is coming, a day that he would do anything to avoid. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey, and this is Love Murder. Andy. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about scams, shams, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on TikTok and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please love slash murder a five-star rating on your podcast app. Subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. We are still doing stickers. We actually have a couple to choose from. So if you have not DM'd us or emailed us about your review, please do so we can reward you with a sticker. Also, if you want to support the show more directly, you can head on over to patreon.com slash lovemurderpod where you can learn all about the different tiers of support. And speaking of Patreon, we are thrilled as always this week to welcome and shout out a new set of incredible patrons. Welcome to Kristen B., Zoila D., and Carly C., Margaret S., Kate P., and Cecilia S., Monica B., Riley D., and Crystal P., Amy A., Amanda D., and Faith D. Welcome to all of you beautiful patrons and to all of you beautiful lovers tuning in today. We are very, very honored to have so many new patrons. And we also, I think we have how many bonus episodes now, Jesse? 26? Uh, No, we have 29. 29. Yep. So August, we'll have over 30. Yes. And the last one that I did, the safari dentist, Larry Rudolph, was actually like an hour and 40 minutes. So it was a full ass episode. Yep. So if you are looking for more content, you can sign up for the second tier. I think it's $10 a month and you can get 30 new episodes immediately starting in August. Yay! Yes. By the end of August, you'll have 31. (laughs) All right. Well, today is a sensitive subject. I want to trigger warn you guys right from the get-go, because even in my intro, we're going to be talking about sexual assault, kidnapping, coercion. It is a rough episode for those themes. So I wanted to get that out of the way right away. But I do feel like It's an interesting story and it's worth telling because unfortunately, this is a situation that many, many people, especially women, find themselves in a lot of the time. It was 4.30 in the morning on February 23rd, 2002, and Sandy Razzo had had it. She had just gotten off a long shift bartending at the Club Inferno, a popular hotspot in Tampa, Florida. But it wasn't sore feet or general exhaustion that was bothering Sandy that early morning. It was her coworker, Tracy Humphrey. Tracy. Tracy. Tracy was a bouncer at the club. He was also a personal trainer. And the two had met about four and a half months ago on the job. 
Sandy had liked Tracy. He was tall and fit, and he told her stories about playing football professionally for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as well as his short-lived modeling career. Sandy was also an aspiring model. She had worked on and off for ages, mostly local, magazine, calendar-type work, and she still had dreams of potentially going into acting. But she never made enough money doing the modeling and the acting to pay the bills. So instead, she had worked various jobs. She had worked at U.S. Airways for a little while, and now she was bartending to make ends meet and, of course, give herself the flexible schedule to go to castings and have time to work out and maintain her looks. Tracy was a trainer at a local gym, so they had a lot in common. Pretty quickly after meeting, the two were making plans to work out together because this was something she loved to do. She loved to stay fit. She loved to lift weights. And so obviously there was a common interest there and he told her he could give her even some more tips and tricks. So they worked out together a few times and twice they made plans to just grab a quick dinner after their workout. And their connection deepened when Tracy revealed that he had a daughter who lived primarily with his ex. Sandy also had a daughter and her daughter as well lived primarily with her ex at the time I'm not sure if it was in Alabama or Texas, but it was in another state. Though Sandy managed to see her quite frequently because the daughter was at that point 11 or 12 years old. So she was able to fly out to visit her mom frequently or Sandy went to go see her. So Sandy thought that she and Tracy were building a beautiful friendship. They had a lot of commonalities, but Tracy thought they were building something far more romantic and decidedly sexual. Okay. In her mind, they had gone to work out together. They had grabbed food afterwards as friends. There was one night he had crashed on her couch, but she had, of course, entertained the idea that, you know, he was an attractive guy. Maybe there was something there. But her friend said very quickly, she was like, no, he's more like a girlfriend. He's more like, you know, your gay friend that you can tell everything to. And we have a lot in common, but I'm not getting romance vibes from this. So she had quickly put it in the friend, friend zone. category. Yeah. Yes. She was friend zoning him. But Tracy did not seem to completely pick up on that. Even though she felt like she was being pretty obvious, he started acting possessively towards her while they were working together and making it seem like they were a couple already. So she would counteract this by like, pointing out the girls he was flirting with when he was bouncing and be like, oh, look at you, playboy, and stuff like that, like trying to tease about it. And instead, he'd be like, well, I won't do it anymore. And are you being jealous or something? And she's like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. Like, of course, like we work in the industry. We're going to like flirt a little bit. That's normal. Like, don't worry about it. So everything that she did to kind of like counteract these feelings, it seemed like kind of went over his head. Yeah. There was a specific times, too, she told him point blank, I'm not interested in being your girlfriend. Okay, that was my next question. Yeah, I guess I could tell you were, like, thinking that, which she was specific about it. But I still, again, I don't know if he, like, misinterpreted that to being like, oh, okay, so we're just going to be friends with benefits. So had they hooked up at all at this point? So there was one night where basically he had kind of forced himself on her after a few drinks. And it was one of those situations, and this is why I'm saying that I've trigger warned it, but I also want to say that many women have found themselves in this situation where you're with a friend, there's some sort of gray area, you've had too much to drink, and all of a sudden, 
the person's on top of you and to Sandy, because she talked about this later, it was kind of like there was like this violent edge to him that evening. And he had kind of been making some comments about her being a tease. So she was a little scared of him, but she was also almost resigned at that point to be like, it's almost better just to let him do it and get it over with. Okay. She made it clear later she had to do a deposition about a case that we're going to get right into right now about something else that happened between the two of them. And she made it very clear to the attorneys on the record that she had never had consensual sex with Tracy, that this one occasion was not consensual. Yeah. It's just so hard to then have to like work with that person too. Because you have to kind of create this like amicable relationship then in order to keep things cool at work. Just like more forced situations that she has to be in. Exactly. And I think that's kind of why she was like, I just wanted this to be over with. And if that was what he was looking for, if the whole point was he wanted to sleep with her, she was like, maybe this will just be it. He'll stop calling me. He'll stop. Maybe it's just a conquest. But it did not stop. And she was getting genuinely scared of him because he was a big guy. He was over six feet tall. He weighed something like 230 pounds around there. And she was little. She was not a very big woman. And she weighed like, I think maybe 120. Tiny. Yeah. Everything about this guy is kind of intimidating. He also had like this shaved head. They called him Mr. Clean. Also, the fact that he can't take social cues, like that's always kind of You don't know how to read someone like that. It came up several times that she didn't realize until she was a little in too deep that he didn't know how to take no for an answer. Speaking of that non-consensual first experience, Sandy told a friend that she didn't really know what to call it. She was like, I I don't know if I can call it rape because I didn't scream. I didn't like say no. I just kind of froze. I had made it clear I didn't want to have sex that night earlier. So it's just this confusing area where she was like, I feel uncomfortable around him, but I have to keep it cool at work, just like you were saying, Andy. And she was trying to make everything just okay. Like, hey, let's get back to being friends. We can be cool. Let's just pretend that never happened almost. Yep. But it seems like even after that night, he then thought that they were more, not less, because of what had occurred. So they had worked together the same night on New Year's Eve. And after work, a bunch of people were partying and she took off when she was done with her shift, went home, went to bed. And he left her several angry voicemails being like, how could you leave me? Why did you leave me here? He was obviously wasted. Now, she doesn't think that they're anything. She doesn't. And she they I don't think they had even talked about her giving him a ride home or him coming home with her. And he said some things that were very scary and very aggressive towards her at that point. So it's getting later and later. She's not answering her phone. She passed out. And the next morning, she found a pile of these voicemails. And one of them said, quote, you're probably already dating somebody else. You're probably already dating a plastic surgeon, which is good because after I'm done with you, you're going to need one. Uh, Terrifying. Yeah. I think we've talked about the show before, but I had a guy stalk me when I was working at Sansi who seemed like a nice guy, a regular. He always tipped well. Everyone liked him. And one of my coworkers gave him my phone number. And when he found out I was dating somebody else, he left like these very angry anti-Semitic voicemails because I was dating a Jewish guy. And it was 
bananas. So I can relate to being like, wow, this person is unhinged. And he was permanently kicked out of Swansea. He was never allowed back in while I was working during my time there. Yeah. When that guy got kicked out of Swansea, he ended up like sending flowers to Swansea to like apologize because I'd like blocked his number, of course. And that's kind of what Tracy did in this situation. He immediately was like, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said any of those things. I can't believe I called you that many times. This isn't your fault. Like, so he seemed to backtrack. And obviously she was so eager to just make it okay. She's like, let's just forget about it. Don't worry about it. So she just planned to tread very carefully around Tracy. She worked with him. She had to do what countless other women have done when they're facing unwanted advances from a coworker. Yep. She was going to be the one that was going to smooth things over. She was going to get over things, forget things. She would subtly maneuver and exit from whatever situation they were already in without hurting his feelings so that she didn't get physically hurt, essentially. Well, by the end of February, Sandy thought that just maybe it was possible for them to be friends or at least neutral coworkers again when Tracy asked her for a ride home. So she had been mostly not seeing him, not hanging out with him, not talking to him, definitely not outside of work. And he had owed her some money. So earlier that day, they were both working that evening. He had been like, hey, can I drop some money off at your house? Because I got to pay you back. And she said, okay, fine. And when he dropped it off, he said, oh, hey, I'm here now. Do you want to just give me a ride to work? Which was really weird because he left his car at her place, which is obviously a trap. Yes. But she was like, oh, he's being cool. Like, it's not a big deal. I can just give him a ride to work. And she was even thinking that things had been okay for a little while. And so maybe now was a good time to be like, just so you know, we're not going anywhere, but I'd really like to be your friend. And so she's like, okay, well, maybe when I give him this ride, like either to work or back to his car later, we can have this conversation. It's like a good place to have it that's not at work. And I'm not, you know, we're in transit. We're not in my apartment. And so that was the plan. But it did not go to plan because they didn't end up really directly speaking about it on the way to work. And then on the way back when she was taking him back to his car, the two got into a really big fight about the same thing, about how she didn't want to date him, how he was free to date whoever he wanted, she was free to date whoever she wanted, that that's not where their relationship was going. And he was exploding at her. So she thought when she got out of her car that he was going to storm to his car and just angrily peel out. And she was already thinking like, This is not a great situation. It's a fine enough job, but she hadn't been there for a super long time. I'm just going to get a new job. Okay. But when she went up to her apartment, he followed her in. So he's inside. She still at this point did not think he was going to hurt her. And he started getting angry about something and speaking aggressively. And he was kind of like punching the air. And at this point, it was past 4.30 in the morning. It's creeping up on five in the morning and she's tired and she's like, I've had it. Like, I'm not going to be nice about this anymore. She had been so trying to be subtle. She's like, I will never be your girlfriend. And honestly, I don't want a relationship with you at all. Like, I don't want to even be your friend right now because you're so aggressive and you're really scary. I need you to leave. I need you to get out and get out of my life. So scary to go through that, to have that like break when you're alone. Yes. She had just gotten... Fed up. And I'm also assuming if you're 
still up at 4.35 in the morning. I don't know what time they got off. Like having lived that lifestyle before, everyone has a couple drinks as they're closing out. Maybe they go to another bar that stays open later. Yeah. And you're exhausted as well. And you've been dealing with people all day. Yeah. So she was just like over it. I'm over it. And he did not leave. So we're going to get into exactly what happened later. But he, Tracy, would end up subjecting Sandy to almost 48 hours of hell, multiple rapes and beatings and psychological abuse. So insane. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't his first rodeo, as we will come to find out with mistreating women. But Sandra, Sandy, Razo survived. And she made the brave decision to go to the authorities to bring her abuser and rapist to justice. Wow. Sandy would not let even one more woman suffer at the hands of Tracy Humphrey. She would see him in court at his criminal trial. But Tracy had been locked up before, and he wasn't going to let that happen again. He would shut up Sandy by any means necessary even if it meant ensnaring two more women in his dark plan. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is a real cautionary tale about taking red flags seriously, about our intuition, not allowing convenience or being polite to override our safety. And it's just an all-too-common story about... A woman being forced to manage the emotions of a man that she's not interested in to survive. Yeah, because he can't function like a normal, respectful human being. Yeah, and it's a shame. I mean, it's stories like this that make women shut it down for their safety or say, like, I want to be very clear. We're friends and not this. And like, oh, she friend zoned me. It's like we have to be so explicitly clear, you know, especially in heterosexual relationships about what the terms are of the relationship and negotiating it to a point because there are people like this that will take advantage of any gray area and twist it around and make it the woman's fault somehow. So crazy. It is. Today's primary source is Kill For Me by M. William Phelps. This case has also been featured on several shows, so you guys might be familiar with it, too. It was on Snapped, on The Case with Paula Zahn, and I recently watched a show called Vengeance Killer Lovers. So let's go back in time and start with Sandy before the events of February 23rd, 2002. Sandy was born Sandra Lee Razzo on January 17th, 1966, to mother Sandra Poole and father Frank Razzo. Sandy was the first girl born in her dad's family for something like two or three generations. She's so funny. Yeah. So Frank was so elated that she was a girl. And apparently he wanted to bestow the naming honor from his wife, Sandra. So they gave Sandy the same name. That's really cute. Yep. And so they would go on to have three more children. Sandra, the mother, was only 19 when she had Sandy. Okay. And then that relationship, unfortunately, the marriage did not end up working out. So I didn't get exactly why, but it might have had something to do with the dad. I'm not entirely sure. The mom took Sandy and her three younger siblings to Florida. They had moved to Florida from the Pennsylvania area in 1973, so Sandy would have been around seven years old. 
Sandy grew into a beautiful young woman with a naturally warm and vivacious demeanor. Her ambition was to someday model and act, and she was partially successful. She was very pretty. I would say, like, you wouldn't look at her and think, like, oh, high fashion model. But she looked like Farrah Fawcett meets, like, a young Edie Falco. Okay. Yeah. You can tell she's warm in pictures. So she's very attractive, but it was, like, maybe as far as, like, professional modeling goes, it might have reached the level at a local level, if you know what I mean. So, like, not Delia's catalog? <laughs> not de- not, not our, our type. And at the time that this all occurs, by the time she was assaulted, she was already 35 years old, which is very young. And I'm glad that more people are modeling into their 30s and 40s now. But in the early 2000s, most models were pretty darn young. Yeah. Most models are still young, to be honest. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> yeah. I think that we're having, there's a lot more diversity in many different ways of who we're looking to in regards to a quote unquote model now, which is so exciting. It is so exciting. It's so exciting to look at a catalog or, you know, online for clothes and see people who are shaped like you modeling the clothes. Yeah, it's a whole new world with that. It's luckily. But yeah, back then it was like very young. (laughs) Yeah, it was like teenagers. Like it's like, oh, you're 25. You're over the hill now. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like I think that she had reached a level. She had been in love a couple times in her life. At 22, she fell in love with a guy. She became pregnant and they did get engaged. They lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for a little while, but the relationship did not work out, unfortunately. However, her and her ex-fiance co-parented very well together. Cool. And he seemed at the time of the breakup more stable because she was still pursuing modeling and she was probably going to be working in nightlife to achieve that goal. So they agreed that the child should stay primarily with the dad, and it was all very amicable. And then it sounds like there was another guy whom she had lived with in Alabama who she thought was the whole thing. Like, she thought that was the rest of her life, this guy, and he got along with her kid, and, you know, it was going to be the white picket fence, and I think she was maybe going to be, like, a stay-at-home mom, and... To what her friend said, to her surprise, he changed his mind. And it wasn't clear to her ever why he had pulled the rug out from under her. Oh. So twice she had kind of imagined a more family-based lifestyle for herself. And twice it had not worked out. So I think she was in her early to mid-30s when she decided to move to the Tampa Bay, Florida area. And that was when she got a job at U.S. Airways. She worked as a baggage handler, I believe, but she was furloughed at some point. So she needed to make the money somehow. So then she ended up working in nightclubs and bars. U.S. Airways is a throwback. I don't think that exists anymore. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, I haven't heard. Did they get acquired by somebody? I think so. I think they might have gotten acquired by United. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, U.S. Airways. This is a while ago. So she was 35 years old when she first crossed paths with 34-year-old Tracy Humphrey at their place of employment, which was a club. Tracy was attractive. He was well-built. He was very muscled. He was confident. He had a nice smile. And it sounded like he had had a very interesting life. He talked about playing professional football, that he had won the Heisman Trophy in college, which is a very 
big honor for college football players and usually means you're going to go on to have a very serious career in the NFL. And he did play a little for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He confided in Sandy that he'd also done some fitness modeling. So this was intriguing enough to feel like, wow, I'm still trying to make it in this business. And this guy actually did do some some things in the modeling world and in the professional sports world. And of course, they had something in common, which was some failed relationships. And they each had daughters that did not live primarily with them. But unfortunately for Sandy, almost everything that Tracy had told her was a lie. Duh. I like literally was going to say that when you were saying it in the (laughs) intro. Including his name. What's his real name? Tracy's real name was Timothy Lee Humphrey. Wow. And he changed it to Tracy? Yes. But he had to because he was in and out of jail a lot. Oh, so Timothy was his jailbird name. Yeah, it was burned. That name was burned. So yeah, old Timmy Timmy Tracy. (laughs) Timmy Tracy had not won the Heisman, had never played for the Buccaneers, had never modeled, and instead had a rap sheet as long as my arm. He did have a daughter with an ex, a woman he had beat, threatened, and harassed. Wow. But he did not tell Sandy that, of course. Can you imagine dating before Google? Like, if somebody told me all that, I could just immediately (laughs) take my phone while he's in the bathroom. Go to LinkedIn. disprove it. Yeah, like in two seconds. Because you can also look up, like, the roster of every lineup of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Totally. (laughs) And and it'd be like, oh, no. Also, Heisman Trophy winners are, it's it's insane to win one of those. It's crazy. It's so ridiculous and so easy to disprove. But at this time, people, I don't think we're still not using the internet like that. I don't think the data was online either. No, probably not. It was, it was very, I mean, this is like when I was a senior in high school and it was still very rudimentary. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Timothy, Timmy Tracy, was born in Iowa in November 1967, and he had begun his criminal career as early as 1985 when he was around 18 years old. Whoa. Yeah, he stole a truck and gas and was given probation. A year later, however, he was arrested again. Seems like it was the same guy. There was a guy he was harassing. He had threatened a man with a knife. And then the police had caught him tossing a rock through this guy's window. I'm still not clear whether it was the same guy or a different guy. Okay. And when they searched his car, they found like 13-inch knives and like a hatchet in the back seat. So they were like, we're going to actually have you do a little time at this point. Yeah. After his probationary period was over in Iowa, he moved to Miami, Florida, where Tracy was either living by Timothy still at this time or by another of his aliases. This is where he kind of got into working out, fitness. He also worked as a bouncer. And it was 90s in Miami, so they were just doing tons of drugs. Like M. William Phelps said it was basically like trays of cocaine just going around the nightclub. Yeah, I mean, that was happening other places too in the 90s. So I (laughs) can imagine it happening there like In Miami. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I do not think that was helping his mental state. Uh, You think? In 1995, an ex-girlfriend tried to officially end their relationship with Tracy. And he kept her hostage in her apartment for 24 hours. (sighs) I mean, you said that Sandy ended up being 48 hours. I can't imagine one hour. Yes. It was terrifying. I mean, 
we know more details about Sandy's attack, but he had assaulted this woman. I mean, basically, this is torture. He had placed a gun in her mouth, a loaded gun in her mouth, in her ears. He even like pushed it up against her nose and kept telling her he was going to kill her. He placed a pillow over her face and pressed the barrel of the gun like into her head through the pillow and was like basically saying at any point you're dead. So she was just terrified for 24 hours thinking at any one of these moments he could shoot her and kill her. At some point during this 24-hour torture, he fell asleep and she was able to escape, get out of the her apartment and go to the police. Oh my God. So he was arrested and he was charged with kidnapping, battery and assault. But after he was arrested, he was able to meet bail. I don't understand how that's not attempted homicide. I, I don't know. Either. You know what I mean? Because he's literally holding a gun up to her face for 24 hours. Like that's, that seems way more of the actual action happening. Yeah, I don't really know how it is determined where the line is when it crosses into attempted murder, but for whatever reason. And maybe battery and assault is a higher charge than attempted yes. homicide. Who knows? But like, it's just that seems like that should be the highest penalty besides actually murdering someone of what he did. Yeah. And also when you do something like this to somebody else, they can walk right through a restraining order. So it seems kind of terrifying that he can just get out right away. So he just took off. He didn't go after the woman, thankfully, but he also skipped bail and left town and really? was on the run for a couple of years. Yep. He ended up in New York and North Carolina, where he went. He started going by the name Tracy Humphrey at that point. And Stuart Kessler, I don't know where that one came from. Stuart Kessler? another one of his aliases. There was a couple of them, but those were two that he used while he was in North Carolina and New York. But he was eventually found and he was sent to prison for those offenses that had occurred in 1995. But this was not before starting a relationship and getting a woman pregnant. But I'm very, very iffy about this timeline. Okay. So there's a lot that we don't know about Tracy's background. We do know that his parents, when he was going to prison for the assault that he had jumped bail on, his parents did write a letter saying that they believed that he had a drug problem that had contributed to the situation and they wanted him to go to rehab and that they were hoping that the court could find leniency because he was a troubled young man. But he had recently tried to start getting his life together and he had met a young woman and she was pregnant and they were going to have a baby and she they were hoping that the family would ground him. So we know that before he actually went to prison, he did have a relationship that resulted in the birth of his daughter. However, the whole timeline is fuzzy for me personally. And I guess he could have just been cheating because later on, we hear from other people who are lovers of Tracy's. And we're just going to go with Tracy because that's what he was known by during this period of time. He was also involved in sexual and romantic relationships with men. Okay. So the police would later interview a man who said that he and Tracy had actually lived together for six months in 1996 before he was apprehended and went to prison. So I'm like, not sure when he, if he was like two-timing them or what was going on here. 
But the two had continued the relationship via letters and prison visits. And that when Tracy was released, they had continued a romantic and sexual relationship. And he had moved back in with him for a number of months for at least eight months. Wow. Yeah. So eventually, this ex-boyfriend said that Tracy had decided to really go full in for personal training and make it a business. And he wanted to open his own gym someday. And they were living in the Tampa area at this point, And he did not want his clientele to know he was gay. So basically, he was like, we can see each other, but not in public. And we have to be like super on the down low. And his ex-boyfriend was like, uh-uh, no, thank you. I have too much self-respect for that. Like, I can go and find myself somebody who's ready to be proud to be with me. And so he broke up with him. Now, he was under the impression, I believe, that it turns out, of course, Tracy was bisexual, or at least we don't know. He never, Tracy himself never talked about what his sexuality was. But, you know, his lover had kind of assumed that he liked men. And so he was shocked when he found out that not only was Tracy with women after this, but that he had been with women during their relationship as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, from all he knew, it could have been he could have never had any idea that Tracy was ever interested in women. It's not even necessarily like we're knowing that he potentially could be bisexual if he was with men and women. But if he's just in this long term relationship with this guy. And he's never spoken about any women in his past. How is he supposed to know that he's been with a woman ever? Yeah, they they ended up still kind of in the same circles, though, because they knew each other and they were both in Tampa. And they'd obviously both been in the gay scene there. And they stayed friends. And so at that point, he was obviously aware of his relationships with many women. And he said that they were never intimate again because he wasn't going to do that to himself. He was going to have a healthy relationship. But he also said that he knew as being Tracy's friend that Tracy had very, very unhealthy relationships with women. And he was very intimidating and violent towards women. And he was never like that in his relationship. No. With his male partner. Yep. So he said this was a quote from an interview with the police. Tracy was mean and violent. He made no secret about the way he treated women. He did not hide the fact that he intimidated them and was violent with them. We talked about it numerous times. I think he treated women like that because he was so conflicted about his sexuality. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And they asked him if, obviously, Tracy had ever been violent with him. He said, no, never, and never intimidated me either. He said, I would have never tolerated it, and he knew it. But he said, to his knowledge, he had been with at least one or two other guys, and he had not been violent with them either. So when Sandy met charming, seemingly sweet Tracy, she thought he could be a great friend. And again, this also makes sense of the fact that she was picking up on the gay best friend vibe. Totally. So she was, like, confused about where that relationship was heading in a way because he never said anything explicitly about his sexuality. It was just like, you know, you get a vibe from some people. Absolutely. Yeah. So the whole beginning of this friendship is very muddled. Tracy never said anything explicitly telling Sandy that he believed they were dating. He just started acting crazy. And I think it took her some time to really feel like she had to have that awkward conversation of, just so you know, we're not dating. Or this isn't going anywhere. It sounds like it was kind of 
a mismanaged communication for a number of reasons at the beginning of their relationship. Well, yeah, one of the main points being that he didn't listen to her. Well, yeah, that's a huge one. And in in kind of regardless of if she had had a relationship with him and wanted to break it off or whatever, it doesn't matter because what happened to her is so egregious that it doesn't matter whether they were in a relationship or not, whether he was feeling let on. That's not how people process things. You don't get to rape and assault and kidnap because your feelings are hurt. So Sandy would later say that she had told him explicitly on three occasions that she was not interested in dating him or being his girlfriend. And unfortunately, the third of those times was during the very early morning hours of February 23rd, 2002. And this is where it gets a little rough because we're going to talk about what happened. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment a business dream becomes a reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're like Andy and you're selling some amazing boutique vintage clothing finds and handcrafted home decor, or you're selling your own services in any way, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. I know I've told you a million times, but I cannot tell you how much Shopify means to my business and my team. I'm such a huge Shopify pusher on anyone who says that they have to start a website. I was actually out this morning and heard someone else's phone go off with the classic cha-ching sound. And I was like, <laughs> hey, I see you. Get it. Um, but essentially, no matter what your business is, like Jesse said, if you are offering services and you need tools to help organize or schedule or you are selling product and you just need some sort of system to help streamline your shipping services and needs, Shopify literally has all of the tools to help you act like a big company while you're still small and independent. There are amazing apps that I personally have discovered, and I know there are thousands of other ones I need to discover that are out there that help you scale and grow your business. But the best part is that Shopify is so intuitive and user-friendly. So if you wanted to change up your website front face appearance or add a new app to the platform, it is so easy to quickly learn through the Shopify website, or you can even just Google and see what other users are doing to make your business the best it can be. Absolutely. It has given back Andy precious time that she could spend with her family or more importantly, with me doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, to our wonderful listeners, it is your turn to get serious about selling, saving some time for your friends and loved ones, making more money. So you should try Shopify today. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. No matter what you're doing and what you want to get out there, you should just sign up today for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash lovemurder, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lovemurder to take your business to the next level today. No matter what you're selling, we really encourage you to get on there and try it out. Go to shopify.com slash lovemurder. So after Tracy refused to leave, 
Sandy told him again, I want you to go. Come on, get out of here. But he wasn't moving. So she said, fine, you know, I need some rest. I don't care. Like, leave, stay on the couch, do whatever you're going to do. I'm going to bed. Okay. And then she went and she laid down. And I don't know if she fell asleep or not, but he came in the room and then he raped her. And he had slept over on the couch without raping her in the past. Yes. And so it's like, yeah. for her, she was just doing what they had done in the past in the same exactly. way. With clearer boundaries. Yes. And so this all comes from depositions and from what she told the police. Because they asked her, of course, like, did you scream? Did you say no? And she said that during the rape, the first rape, yeah. she did not speak at all, at all. She said, quote, I was in survival mode. I was in fear of even moving. Jesus. Afterwards, she did fall asleep, which I'm sure was just like a stress response to everything that was going on. And I think that there was probably some part of her that was hoping that maybe he would just go then. I mean, you're thinking about a million things, but also you're like, oh my God, maybe this, but maybe I'll never see him again after this. Exactly. Too. Like I would definitely be thinking that like maybe he'll just do this and go away forever. Yeah. And by the time the rape was over, it was closer to like 8.30 in the morning. This oh had been going God. on for hours already. Already it had been the fighting had been going on for hours and the talking and the like leave, don't leave. And then her going to lay down. So this has been going on for a while. She drifted off to sleep at some point and she was woken up by Tracy and he was screaming, I effing hate you. I hate you. You're not going to do this to me. And she was totally surprised. She was fully dressed at this point because I think that he had just taken off her pants and she had put them back on afterwards. And now he's fully naked. And so he's straddling her in the nude. And so his penis is like in her face and he is taking her neck between his like massive legs because he's a personal trainer. Yeah. And squeezing them, like squeezing her throat and her neck. So she is just like shocked. There's all of that going on right at her face. She's starting to not breathe. And he's like in this full rage, like doesn't even seem like himself. And he says something along the lines of, I have spent approximately $250 on you going out to dinner and other things. And I don't pay anyone's bills. I want my money back, bitch. I want some money out of you. Now, she was so surprised about this that she was saying like, no, like, no, like, stop choking me. No, no, stop. And he had suggested that she sign his car over to him. So that's how he was going to get his money back. She was going to give him her car. Because a car costs $250. Yeah. And so when she was like saying like, no, because she was scared for her life, he may have misunderstood that to be like, no, I'm not going to sign over my car, which also she shouldn't have done. And he started punching her directly in the face with a closed fist at that point. So now that he's like beating her, she's like, whatever you want, you can have my car. I don't care. Just like, and this is the first time that he sexually assaulted her. No, this is, so this is the second time okay, kind okay, of. Okay, 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 Remember there was that one event that she was like, it's so hazy and I, I didn't say no, blah, blah, blah. And then at this, during this interval, this, is this the time. Big one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is the big one. So he had already raped her. She had gone to sleep. She wakes up, his dick is in her face and he's cutting off her airways. And this is when he starts beating her. Now, this is the first time that it wasn't just sexual violence, that it was like, very aggressive physical violence, which 
most people have not been hit directly in the face with a gigantic closed fist in their life, if you're lucky. So this was hugely shocking to her and disorienting. And so she's like, whatever you want, whatever you want. And because of the injuries and the shock, she ends up passing out again. Of course. And he's choking her. Yes. So she passes out again. And she wakes up and he says that while she was passed out, he went through her personal papers and her personal belongings and her wallet. And he now knows her social security number, her daughter's social security number, her daughter's address. He's has written down all of her credit card numbers. He has every personal information and pin number that he could possibly need to ruin her life. He's like, you're not going to talk about what happened here today, because if you do, I have all of your information. and I'm going to make your life a living hell. And God forbid I go visit your daughter, who was, I believe, 11 at the time, 11 or 12. Oh, my God. So she is obviously freaked out. And I believe that he raped her again at this point. And he's telling her that he would also like this was nothing that if she told anyone what happened, he was going to pay three men to gang rape her until she begged for death. So she is going through this. And then at some point now this is going on and on. She missed work. She missed a night of work. She was supposed to be at work and she was trying to get him to let her up. He had also ripped up her bed sheets and used them as ropes to tie her up. Yeah, and I'm sure she's also like completely bruised up as well. Yes. And so he had also like ripped off her clothes and she was bleeding. She has two black eyes. And she asked him at one point if she could get up to go to the bathroom. And when they got up so that he was following her to the bathroom, it was like he switched to remorseful. And it was very disconcerting. Now, this guy, we will come to find out, was on a lot of steroids. So he was abusing steroids. This may have contributed to this rage and hormonal swings. And I mean, it doesn't excuse anything. But no, this is like we're talking about a lot of power, a lot of anger. And he switches immediately to remorseful. He's like, oh, my God, look what I've done to your face. Like he couldn't see it. Like he didn't do it. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. He does like the whole I'm so sorry number. He gets her an ice pack. He's like, wait, lay down. He gets her an ice pack. He's like, here, let's ice your face. Let's get the swelling to go down. And then he's like, okay, well, we got to come up with a story about what happened to you. So why don't we say that we were in a car accident? We were in a car accident together. And that's why we didn't show up for work. And that's why you look like that. Where are his injuries then? Exactly. And so I don't remember if she pointed out or if he realized that he didn't have any injuries, but he's now talking about, he's like, I can't go back to prison. You can't tell anyone. You have to stick to the story. I'm never going back to prison. I'm not going back there. And he goes into her bathroom cabinet and he gets like a razor and breaks like the plastic part off the razor and then attaches it to a toothbrush. So it's kind of like a shiv. And she's not sure what he's going to do, but he's apologizing to her. And then she's like, well, maybe he's going to cut himself up to make it look like he was in the accident too. And he ends up like slicing really deep into his throat. So at this point, I'm not sure whether he was trying to make it look like glass. He was in the accident or if he was like maybe going to kill himself in her apartment because he'd rather die than go back to prison. I have no idea what was going on in this man's head. But she said it was 
really frightening because he started like using the blood and like putting it all over his like head and face. So I guess it was more about the accident. So she is been brutalized. She's exhausted. And now this madman is cutting himself in her bathroom and putting the blood like all over his face and chest. At least there's DNA evidence everywhere. Yeah. So she is like, of course, I won't tell anyone, but I also have a shift tonight and I missed last night and my boss is, I'm pretty sure has been trying to call me and our boss. So we can't do another night of this. You have to let me go. And he did agree as long as she stuck to the story and he was working. So he bandaged, like, I think she helped him bandage his neck up and she kept the ice packs on and took Advil and put makeup over her injuries and had to work that night terrified of him because he kept popping up because I guess she worked in like an upstairs section and he was down at the door and he just kept coming up and just looking at her and staring, like making sure she wasn't saying anything. This story is like hurting my stomach. Yeah. So she was felt sick. She was supposed to be going to visit some family in Pennsylvania the next day. And she called her best friend and said, I can't go. I don't know what I'm going to do. This horrible thing happened to me and I'm so stressed out about it. And her best friend had recently gotten engaged to an attorney and they lived not in the same area, but like close enough to drive where they could meet in the middle. And she's like, come and meet us right now. We need to talk to you. We need to get you safe. We need to figure out how you're going to go to the police. And they said that when they saw her, it was terrifying. She had two giant black eyes. Like it's almost unfathomable how she was able to cover them up for work. Yeah. And she had red welts all over her body from being tied up. Of course. So they convinced her to go to the police and she did. All of these injuries were photographed. And then they went to her house so that they could collect evidence. Now she had cleaned up some of the stuff because that was like a nervous reaction. She was a very tidy and clean person, but there was still plenty of evidence to go around even despite that. So they were at her house getting all of the evidence. And they said that while they were there, the forensic text, he called her phone 15 times. Oh my God. Could the cops see that she was calling? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. So he was ultimately arrested for kidnapping and battery and rape. Again, not attempted murder, Andy. But he got a lawyer. He got a good lawyer, it sounds like. And he was back out on bail. What? Even though he skipped bail before? Yeah. How? I do not know how. I have no idea. I don't know if there was like a certain window of time, but this it's mind boggling. So he's out now. I'm sure that there was some sort of protective order for Sandy. But again, that means next to nothing if somebody is wanting to kill you. So he's back out there. And the whole reason that Sandy was going to come forward was to protect other women who could get into this situation with him. Yeah. And it turns out only months later, after what he did to Sandy in February, I think it was like in October, He also battered and raped another woman that he had been casually dating after they got into an argument. And did she go to the cops? I don't know if she did because she speaks to the police eventually, but I do not know if she reported it when it occurred. Okay. Because also he was terrifying and he was like, if you go to the police, I'll kill you and I'll kill your whole family. Yeah. And I'm sure he blackmailed all of them the way he did with Sandy too and took all their shit and everything. 
it keeps working and it's not like he's actually ever getting punished by the justice system. So why wouldn't he change anything? Yes. And so the police do eventually talk to this woman. And I do not know if it was before or after some events that we're going to talk about. But she did say that she was a little concerned about Sandy because she didn't personally know Sandy, but he talked about her all the time. Yeah, because he's like obsessed. He's obsessed and he talked about how he was going to get her and how she needed to, her mouth needed to be shut. And he was having girls he was dating go online and get like, try to look up shit on her and get some, he needed some like dirt on her. So he was having women that he dated go and try to dig up dirt on her. It was a whole thing. The reason why, for the most part, these girls or women that he dated believed him was because he told them that he was being set up, that she was a jealous ex-girlfriend who, when he had moved on from their relationship, made these false accusations towards him. And he must have been convincing because there was quite a few women that believed this, at least for a little while. So the case was due to go to trial in late July of 2003. So more than a year, almost a year and a half since it had happened. During this period, Sandy was, of course, having a very hard time in life. Uh, yeah, no kidding. I would not go outside. Yeah. So she did quit that job. She got a different job. She started working at a place called the Green Iguana, which... I guess it's still open. And at this point in 2003 was more of a hot spot than it is now because obviously it's been around for a few decades. She also started dating a nice guy that she had previously known. So she had known this guy, Tony, back from their U.S. Airways days. And it sounds like Tony had always liked her and there had been some sort of flirtation before, but it had never gotten serious. And I think after going through this experience, it brought them a lot closer because he was a very nice, very stable man. But friends said that it did not seem like it was destined for a true love match because it was almost like Sandy had settled for security and stability because she was at this very unsettling moment in her life, obviously. But the two had purchased a townhouse together, which would imply that there was some future here. So she was living with this guy, Tony, who by all accounts is a very nice guy who treated her very well. But she was also just in general having a hard time. She had never been a huge partier. In fact, everyone who worked with her said that she was one of the more responsible type A people who worked behind the bar. They showed up, they did their job, they cleaned the bar meticulously, and then they went home. They weren't somebody who was getting sloppy. But after the assault, she was drinking to forget. Of course. Yeah, so she... Wouldn't drink when she saw her daughter, but like otherwise, if she was working or probably terrified while she's working that he could just pop up, she would get drunk and she did end up getting a DUI one night. So her life going into July of 2003 was very difficult. She had two court dates coming up, one where she's going to face off with this guy who wants to kill her and tortured her for two days. And then her own court date about her DUI. So it's just a monumentally stressful time in her life. And Tracy had showed up at the Green Iguana with a girl that he was dating. And they had just sat and stared at her. Should not be allowed in there. Should not be allowed in there, period. So she told a manager and they asked them to leave. But I do not know if the police were consulted. 
she ended up talking to a detective on her rape case later. Okay. And mentioned it. And they were like, why did you not call me? You call me as soon as that happens. And he's arrested. So it was another thing where I think she was trying to minimize. But now he obviously knew where she was working. So when she told the detective while they were getting ready for her testimony and what she was going to say about that occurrence, and he said, of course, call me if he ever shows up anywhere you are. She said, just so you know, which I know you know, but if anything ever happens to me, it's because of Tracy. Yeah. Well, despite all of this, all of this, like, if you're thinking about being Sandy right now, she has every reason in the world to say, Maybe if I drop the charges, he'll stop harassing me or maybe this will go better for me somehow. She did not. She refused. She was not going to drop the charges. She was scared shitless to have to face Tracy in court and have to relive everything she went through and, of course, get questioned by his defense attorney. But she was not going to let another woman be assaulted the way that she was. And M. William Phelps wrote, Anyone not living in a cave knew what women who made accusations of rape have to undergo publicly, especially when you added violence beyond rape into the picture. Sandy was going to have to be tough enough to withstand the onslaught of questions by a defense attorney. She was going to have to be strong to sit and face Humphrey in court and tell her story. Lots of women failed to press charges because of not wanting to go through with testifying, but not Sandy. She wasn't going to allow Humphrey to get away with it. She was determined to see it through until the end, no matter how many times he would threaten her, call her place of employment, or try to intimidate her. This was it. No more. It ended here and now. On July 5th, 2003, Sandy got off her bartending shift at the Green Iguana around 10.35 p.m., and she drove her BMW home to the townhouse in Pinellas Park, where she lived with her partner, Tony Ponicall. So Sandy at that point pulled into her garage. She put her car into park and she began to gather up her purse and some things that had fallen out on the passenger side seat. Okay. At that moment, her killer appeared (sighs) attempting to first smash the window open with the butt of a pistol. And Sandy at that point began kicking and screaming. And it looked like based on the crime scene later that she had tried to get her cell phone out to call for help. And then the killer shot eight rounds directly through the glass, through the driver's side window. And one bullet hit Sandy directly in the head, right between her eyes. I thought you said she survived, Jesse. Well, she survived the first attack. That was the assault she survived. Andy, I think it's pretty fair to say that I am a connoisseur of a nighttime ritual, yes? Yes, I would say that that is a fair assessment. It might be an understatement. I have to tell you about Blissey. I had no idea that a pillowcase could make such a difference. I'm talking staying cool through the hot summer nights and waking up with beautifully hydrated skin and hair. I know, they're truly amazing. This is Definitely the summer for sleeping better with Blissey's award-winning 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. I think especially for you guys over in L.A. right now. Yeah, it's blazing. Blissey's Silk pillowcases are temperature-regulating. So even if you are on the blisteringly hot West Coast or even here in upstate New York, it's ridiculously hot. They have naturally insulating properties. So if you sweat and overheat while you sleep, Blissey is the one for you. 
it stays cool throughout the night so that you're not constantly waking up sweating around your neck or flipping the pillow to find the cooler side. How many times have you done that in your life? So many. And on top of that, it is also good for your hair because it reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents hair breakage. It keeps the moisture in your hair and keeps your skincare products and natural moisture on your skin because silk, unlike other materials, does not absorb the moisture off your face. You can say goodbye to wrinkles, dry, flaky, and red skin in the morning and wake up with healthier hair. It has totally been a godsend for my daughter who is only four, but I've already gotten her a blissy pillow because she has these crazy curls and I cannot get that girl to wear a bonnet. So it's going to be a blissy pillow for her. There are a lot of dupes out there that claim satin can be an alternative to silk, but that is just not the case. Satin is made from synthetic fibers like polyester, while silk is a luxurious all-natural fiber. Because it's synthetic, it also traps heat and moisture, so if you run warm, it'll pool the sweat and heat around your face while you sleep. Silk is more breathable, moisture-wicking, and so gentle. It's also more durable and longer-lasting. Think of it as an investment in getting better sleep and waking up feeling ready to take on the day. Blissy pillowcases are made of 100% mulberry silk, which is naturally hypoallergenic. You can sleep more comfortably without itching or rashes. So good for those with allergies, like me, who's allergic <laughs> to my cat. And unlike other silk pillowcases, these are of the highest quality silk and are machine washable, which is clutch, durable, and even have a zipper to hold your pillow in place. It's also the perfect gift to give when you're looking for a gift for any occasion. And honestly, pillowcases are just one of those things that everybody needs. And it's so, so, so cute when you unwrap it. Blissy silk pillowcases are the best silk pillowcases on the market. They have a ton of different prints and colors, and they make great gifts because there's an option for literally anyone. Men also love them too, side note. They have over 1.5 million raving fans, and you could be next. And Jesse, I don't know if you have used the silk eye mask that was included in our package, but it is truly remarkable. I've used it on several flights, including the flight to London, and it was so tranquil and soft and pleasant. And I even sprayed the little eucalyptus lavender mist that came with it as well. Their pillow mist is amazing, guys. Andy can attest to the fact that I travel usually with a lavender scented candle, which is not so great when you have to travel with a candle and something that will light it. This has completely taken care of that for me. The pillow mist is great. So nice. Try now for 60 nights at blissy.com slash lovemurder and get an additional 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash lovemurder. And use code LOVEMURDER to get an additional 30% off. Sleep cooler this summer with Blissey. Her partner, Tony, heard the pops of the gunshots at 11.10 p.m. This was on July 5th. So at first he was like, are people still doing fireworks? Of course. But then he feels like the noises were coming from directly below him, which didn't make any sense. Yeah. And like, it definitely sounds different. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell in my neighborhood. Yeah. We are always like, are those fireworks or gunshots? It's like a different – fireworks have usually a few of them. Gunshots are usually a lot faster. There's a different vibe, so I can totally Andy, – Andy and I live in two very different places. If I hear gunshot sounds, it's because somebody's hunting, and it's not not humans. <laughs> no, but it's a different vibe. And obviously, he's probably on edge, too, because of 
Well, he was sleeping at this point because it was 1110 and... But just in general, like I would always be thinking like if I was dating someone who had been through something like this, that would be on my mind all the time. And if he's a nice guy who actually cares about her, I'm sure he thought about it. Yeah. So he's, he's like, whoa, what's that? He's also a light sleeper. So it completely woke him up. He got up and he went down to the garage and he saw that she had pulled in, but she hadn't closed the garage door. And then he was like, Sandy, Sandy. And he got closer. And he saw that there was glass everywhere. Obviously, the window had shattered and she was slumped over the steering wheel. And he didn't know what had happened to her. He just was like, oh, my God. So he's trying to wake her up. He can't. He had reached through the window, which was broken glass in shards and had cut him. Of course. Yeah. While he was trying to shake her awake or revive her. And then he called 911 and he said, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. I heard a noise. He hadn't put it together that she had been shot in their garage. So he called 911. They came. She did have a very, very faint pulse when they arrived on the scene. So they rushed her to the hospital, but it was it was too late, unfortunately, and she did not survive. So they go back there. Of course, they're looking at Tony, number one, because he has these scratches on his hands from reaching in through the window, and he's her current boyfriend. Oh, they're not looking at her ex-boyfriend, who she has a restraining order against, and two rape charges, and he also, like, completely got out of bail from his previous conviction. (laughs) Like, I just don't understand how. Well, I don't think that they knew all that right away, because they're showing up on the scene, and they're just, like, taking everything in, right? Whatever. So they do do a gunshot residue test on him. And obviously he has no gunpowder residue on his hands because he did not shoot the gun. Now, Tony says, it's Tracy Humphrey. And Sandy's mom says, it's Tracy Humphrey. And her best friend and the detective who worked the rape case all say it's Tracy Humphrey. But they wanted to make sure that they didn't get tunnel vision. So they looked at every angle, which they do so because they should. They have to. They're investigators. But also so that it doesn't come up in a trial someday that they didn't pursue any other suspects. Yeah, fine, fine, fine. But is someone also looking for Tracy Humphrey? Yes. Okay. Yes, they're looking for him too. Like one person needs to go out and do that immediately. (laughs) And the other person can do their due diligence, okay? But like go find him. (laughs) They're not like, oh, you know what? Let's wait till the, you know, a couple days from now. He's probably not going anywhere. Let's wait till he changes his name again for the 18th time. (laughs) Yeah. So they also looked at her ex-fiance, the father of her children. And and he was alibied, but also there was no motive there because they had a very good co-parenting relationship. It's just the only, only option. And thankfully, her daughter was okay, at least physically. I mean not spiritually, because this 13-year-old girl had lost her mother, which is something that is irreplaceable. So after exhausting every other possibility, it's pretty obvious that Tracy is the most likely culprit. So they approached him the very next morning, and he was working at a gym in Brandon, Florida. And he said, is this about my daughter? Is it about the mother of my child. And they said, no. And he said, okay, well, if it's anything else or anything related to any of my outstanding criminal charges, because he was supposed to go to trial a month later, he said, you're just going to have to talk to my attorney. I'm not going to speak to you. So he gave them his attorney's information. And I have to say, 
we know he's a scumbag, so of course we don't want him wiggling out of this at all. But that's a very smart thing to do. Even if he had nothing to do with Sandy's death and God forbid some accident or some other person had killed her, it's the prudent thing to get your attorney involved if she's the person who is alleging that you kidnapped and raped her and she dies. Yeah, you're going to need your attorney. Yeah. So they are like, okay, so this guy's lawyered up. We don't know what we're going to get from him. So they start sniffing around uh, about where he was, who at this gym is friends with him. And they find out that Tracy, whose real name was Timothy, of course, had actually just gotten married. Like yesterday? The day before, Andy, I hate to tell you, he got married on your anniversary, July 4th. He was married on July 4th, 2003, so 15 years to the day before you and Dan took your vows, which also happened to be the day before Sandy was murdered. Tracy's new bride was a 20-year-old girl. He is 36 years old at this point, named Ashley Laney, who now was going by Ashley Humphrey. Oh, gosh. Ashley was a pretty young woman who was only 19 years old still when she had met Tracy at the Brandon, Florida gym where he was working. She had had a rough life. Her mother had alcohol addiction and had some sort of criminal record. It sounded like by being an accessory to a boyfriend who was dealing drugs and that they had kind of thrown the book at her to also make an example of women who go along with their criminal boyfriends. Her father was in jail. I don't know if it was for various things or one major thing. It wasn't murder, but he was in jail for a very long time. I think her entire life just about. And her brother had been convicted of accessory after the fact for a homicide when he was a teenager. He had apparently been with other teenage boys screwing around. Somebody had a gun and one of the kids got killed. One of the kids shot one of the other kids. And Ashley's brother had helped drag the kid who was shot into the woods where he subsequently died. Oh my God. So it sounds like a case where maybe the kid could have lived if they got him medical attention. Instead, they dragged his body into the woods. Where he died alone. Yes. So he was convicted of accessory for that and spent years in juvenile detention. So this is a mess. She had grown up mostly with a loving grandmother, but the grandmother had died while she was still a teenager. And by the time she met Tracy, she was living on the couch of this tiny house that her mother and her mother's boyfriend lived in. And she had a very rocky relationship with her mother. So this was not an ideal situation by any measure. She was going to college. She was going to a local college. She was trying her best to turn her life around. And she was also working at a smoothie place, which was apparently right next to the gym or right across from the gym. And that was how the two had crossed paths. Okay. Now, of course, she did not know when she met him that he had multiple girlfriends, one of whom he would be accused of assaulting only a month after they started dating. The other woman he raped and assaulted, I think it occurred in October and they had met and started dating in September. He told her he was 29 years old when he was actually 36. 
He told her the same bullshit about modeling and playing professional football, and she believed him. He also told her about Sandy and the charges against him, but in his version, of course, Sandy was a vengeful ex-girlfriend, and she was out for some revenge, and he was completely innocent. He was physically Ashley's type. This type of dude doesn't do it for me, but I know I know women that it does, like big, muscly, bald. I guess it's a type that was her type. So she liked buff men. And he did also eventually come clean to her about his steroid use, which I also think is really shitty because he's a trainer. So he's showing people like, oh, you can get this rip from doing these exercises when really he is abusing steroids and taking human growth hormone. Yeah, that's like selling holistic, all natural face cream and getting work done. And getting Botox. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It would be easy to see how Tracy, at 36 years old, was able to prey upon a vulnerable 19-year-old with a rough home life. But I don't even think he was that smart. I don't think he was going for, I'm going to get somebody and manipulate them. I think she was just a good-looking 19-year-old girl that he was hitting on like he hit on everyone else. Yeah, she's got like a... One of the good-looking Duger girls with just like a dash of Tiffany Amber Thiessen look about her. I was thinking spring break. Spring breakers. No, she's definitely got a more wholesome okay, look. Okay, cool. She's got blue eyes, brown hair, and there is something like doogery about the way she looks. But like there was like a little bit of a spice in her. So that's why I'm going to give her a splash of Tiffany Amber Got Thiessen. it, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> so within two weeks of her joining this gym... He had already spotted her and was chatting her up. And then he put the moves on her, of course, like free training session with me. Then do you want to go out sometime? On their first date, the 19-year-old caught him checking out her butt. And she said something like, oh, are you like staring at my ass on our first date? And he said, I'm just looking for the place on your back where I'm going to get my name tattooed. (sighs) Oh, first date? Red flag. Yeah, that's like worse than checking out your butt. Way worse. That would so creep me out if a guy had said that on the first date. Ooh. It's also weird and ownershipy. Like, it's creepy enough if a guy was like, I'm looking on my arm to see where I would tattoo your name. That's also creepy. But the fact that he's like, where are we going to tattoo my name on your body? Like, she doesn't have a choice about it. Like, immediately, first date, he's basically taking ownership of her her body. Yeah. Tracks. In less than six months, the couple had moved in together and they were already discussing marriage. Ashley would later say that she finally felt that she had somebody who loved her unconditionally, who wasn't going anywhere. And it seemed like he was just old enough and domineering enough to have replaced like a father figure because her dad was never around because he was in prison for her to be attracted to this sort of thing, especially if there was any similarities between the two men. And he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. I want to get married to you. I want this to be permanent. So she felt chosen and loved for the first time ever. Yeah. I'm sure it was probably a bonus that moving in with him meant she got to move out of living with her mother too. Also, they would go on to get matching tattoos with each other's names. And they're very bad. I am sure. The M 
William Phelps book has pictures. So guys, it's kind of like grainy because they're going to be black and white, but I'm definitely putting them on the Instagram because they are like tribal bad fonts of each other's name. And guess where they both got them, the positioning on the body. The like right front hip love handle, like right at your bikini line. Oh no, they went full tramp stamp. Oh, tramp stamp. Okay, cool. Lower back tramp stamp for both of them. So he got her name. And she got his name, regrettably. So these are bad tattoos. At least they're black, so it's easy to remove. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to remove tattoos, though, when you're in prison. Yeah. (laughs) If that comes to pass, we don't know yet. Okay. But while the old rhyme goes, first comes love, then comes marriage, next comes the baby in the baby carriage, Ashley and Tracy were not thinking about putting life into this world. They were thinking about taking it out. So the police discovered that Tracy and 20-year-old Ashley had a quickie wedding. They literally went next door in this, like, strip mall and got married by a notary public. I didn't even know. Somebody that was allowed to marry them for whatever reason. And then they went back to work. And she said later they might have gone to the beach. So this was not a grand celebration by any stretch of the imagination. So they were like, you know what? We're going to go talk to this girl. And they figured out first they they stopped by the gym because Ashley worked there as well. She was training to become a trainer at that point. Okay. Because, of course, he wants to keep eyes on her all the time. And so they asked about Ashley and they said, actually, she's sick. She called him sick. She's at home. And they asked about Tracy and they said, well, he's with a client. They were like, great, we're going to go get some food. Tell him we'll be back in 20 minutes. And then they raced over to Tracy's house so that they could question her alone. Ashley was so nervous during this visit. Could you imagine? That she was shaking. She turned white. She started vomiting. Oh, my God. So then they asked her if she was pregnant because they just wanted to be sensitive if she was. They wanted to make sure that they were not pushing her in a way that was going to be unhealthy for her or the baby. And she said, no, 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 no. That wasn't why they got married so quickly because that was one of the rumors too, why they had had such a shotgun wedding. Yeah. And if she's throwing up too, that could be morning sickness. Exactly. So that's why they double checked. She said no. And so they're like, okay, well, tell us what you did the night you got married. And she's clearly nervous. And she starts talking about what they did the next night, the night that Sandy was murdered. So she's like, oh, we rented movies and we watched them with our friend. And Tracy then like burst through the door. So obviously the person at the gym had told him and he was worried about them going to of course, Ashley. Yeah. So he bursts in and he is sweating. They said he was like dripping sweat down his bald head. And he just stands there. And they said that... um, Roid sweat. They just pretended like he wasn't there. They were just like kept questioning Ashley and just kind of barely acknowledged him. And so they're like, okay, so you rented movies and then what? She's like, and then we ordered pizza. We got pizza from Pizza Hut. And they said that he was like cold. And he looks at her and he goes, no, babe. That was the night after we got married. Didn't they ask you about the night we got married? And she's like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, no, yeah. So the night we got married, because there was fireworks, I think, but then the next night we got movies and pizza. And they were like, "Uh uh-huh, okay, all right, we get it. Like, she was screwing up the rehearsed alibi of what they did. Of course. Yeah, so she looks terrified. 
And like, who would, instead of talking about the night you got married, if you were innocent of a crime, you wouldn't immediately start talking about the next night. No. And also like, I'm shocked that he's not trying to lawyer up right now. He did. So he had his lawyer on the phone. While this was happening? Yeah. So he burst in and he had his lawyer on the phone and he says that one thing to her and he's like, and you shouldn't be talking to them at all. And then he's like, my attorney's on the phone. Like, you can talk to her right now. And of course, his attorney was like, you can't question them without. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I can't imagine being a female attorney helping. I mean, I would never be able to be an attorney for this reason, like a a defense attorney. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many good defense attorneys that are fighting to get people who are wrongfully this is not the situation. Accused, but this is not that situation. No. no. Yeah. So, of course, they shut it down. But at that point, they knew. They were like, okay, the way to get to him is through her. She knows everything. It was very clear that she knew everything at that point. Their attorney did, I think, end up being present with Ashley when she said officially that on the night of the murder... They had ordered Pizza Hut pizza and they had watched movies with their friend, a woman who was a business partner of Tracy's named Toby. And it turns out that that Pizza Hut alibi was legitimate. They ordered two Pizza Hut pizzas. Do you want to know what they ordered on their pizza? I think it was like a meat supreme. (laughs) Just because you... Don't eat meat doesn't mean that meat lovers are bad people. It was hand-tossed chicken, black olives, and tomato. Ew. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't sound very good. gross. Do you think that's somehow worse than a meat lover's? Yeah, because there's still meat on that and then black olives, which is like (laughs) so crazy. Like black olives and tomatoes and chicken. (laughs) Yes, to anyone who's listening, I am silently judging you if you get that on your pizza. (laughs) I only like black olives if they're on like a supreme. Totally. Yeah. Totally. With like the green peppers and like yeah. the onions and the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Mushrooms. Yes. But you mushrooms. have all the other flavors, like the black olives. <laughs> yeah, you cool can't there. just have the black olives. Chicken and just black olives. <laughs> <laughs> so the Pizza Hut delivery guy said that somebody had called in an order. And it had been delivered at 1049. So almost exactly around the time that somebody was killing Sandy was when this these pizzas were delivered. And the delivery guy said that he had had to call the number that was associated with the order because the person had not given their apartment number. And when that person answered, it was a man's voice. And he said, yeah, it's, it's this one. Come on up. And so he came into the guy's apartment. He ran a credit card. So a credit card was used. It was Tracy's credit card. It was him by the description. And he even tipped the guy $20. Establishing that alibi, huh? Yes. So cops are like, come on. Like he did everything, like intentionally left his apartment number off. So the delivery guy had to come up and see him and not just drop it off on the doorstep. Yep. He had to call his cell because then there's cell records that they spoke. He used his credit card because there was a then a record of that. And then he gave a big tip so that the guy would remember him. It just all seems a little too convenient. But where was Ashley? So the guy didn't say that he saw a girl with him. He saw the guy. So did this 
dickhead really possibly talked his 20-year-old brand new wife into murdering Sandy for him? That was the next thought that they had because they were like, how does he have a perfect alibi She's for like that She's throwing exact up in front of the cops. I don't think she, I don't know. That would be wild if that happened. Well, the cops needed to make sure that that was what did not happen, at least, so they could get to how Tracy had managed to kill this woman somehow. Which, if she did, I have to say that murdering a woman who rightfully accused your husband of rape and kidnapping the day after you're married has to be the worst honeymoon of all time. Yeah. It's a nightmare hell moon. (laughs) It is a hell moon. They decided to check out the third person who was part of this alibi, the friend, Toby, the business partner. And Toby did give Ashley an alibi, but she said also it wasn't exactly kumbaya. She said that they were fighting. So it was not a perfect day after we get married anyway. And she said that several times Ashley stormed out of the apartment and came back. Now, these intervals conveniently did not allow for her to have enough time to get to Pinellas Park, kill Sandy, and make it back in time. Like, none of these windows that she was away from the apartment when Toby was there were long enough during the time that Sandy was shot. So now they're like, cool, okay, we have reached another dead end. But then they got the cell phone tower information back. And Ashley's cell phone told a different story, Andy. They could basically trace the pings off cell phone towers to Ashley's cell phone sitting in the parking lot of the Green Iguana following Sandy home and being basically in the vicinity of her home as close as they could triangulate it and then going back to where they live together in Brandon. So she did it? I'm shocked. She's just a baby. She was. So they now realized that she'd been stalking her and following her home. Next, they discovered that she had borrowed a 22 pistol exactly like the type that would have been used to fire the bullets of the type that were found in Sandy's body. She had borrowed it from her mother's boyfriend. And he was willing to go on the record with that. And after he was interviewed by the police... Her mother had been interviewed by the police once saying she just didn't like the guy. She didn't like her daughter's new husband. And she hadn't revealed much more than that. So they had gone through the boyfriend who was like an open book. And then they'd gone back to the mother who was terrified. And at that point, the mother admitted that Ashley had tearfully confessed that her new husband had been pressuring her to kill the woman who was going to, quote, ruin his life and take him away from her forever. and that she had even tried once before to murder Sandy. She had used an old rifle of her soon-to-be stepfather's. Something had gone wrong in the firing of this rifle that was like she was basically trying to sniper shot her leaving work one night. Can you even do that with a rifle? Well, this was a weird old rifle, and it did not work. Sandy ended up going along her way, not even realizing what had happened. She had no idea that there had been an attempt on her life. And she had accidentally shot out her own side mirror. And she had a Volkswagen Beetle 
And later it would come to light while they're investigating her that she and Tracy had burned the Volkswagen Beetle because they thought it was going to be evidence. But Sandy wasn't even murdered at that point. So it was just very odd, the whole thing. And there was a homeless man who saw the whole thing go down, like them show up in two cars and burn the bug, the beetle, and then leave. So there was a witness to them doing this all. So she had been hysterical, basically being like, he told me I had to do this and I failed and he's really upset with me and I'm really upset. So her mother did not know about the successful attempt on Sandy's life, but she was now worried that her daughter had somehow successfully killed this woman. So they have all of this now. But the problem with a lot of this is that there's a lot of holes for a defense attorney to work with. A lot of it's circumstantial. And Ashley's mother wasn't exactly a stellar witness. She had documented run-ins with the law. She had a history of alcohol-related issues. She had also a rocky relationship with Ashley. So a defense attorney could also say she's just doing this because they've always disliked each other. Yeah, but I also feel like someone who has been entangled with the law their entire life doesn't necessarily want to go into the courtroom and testify about something. Like, she's not getting anything out of this. She's losing her daughter, potentially. Yeah, this was a no-win situation for her, but they needed more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they really wanted to find was evidence that tied Tracy to the crime, not just Ashley, because... They already at this point believe that there is no way this girl would have ever murdered anyone if it hadn't been for him, obviously. So they need to be very careful about how they go forward with this case because they need to make sure that he's coming along with. Totally. And they decided that they were going to look into Toby because clearly Toby had lied, the woman who was with them that night. Yeah. And so they got her in a situation where she had to go on the record about what happened that night. And they knew she was lying when she gave given her first like unofficial statement. So they're like, okay, great. We're going to bring you back in. We're going to have a court reporter here and you're going to swear in. And if you make any lies about this on this sworn statement, then it's perjury. So she was caught off guard and she ended up lying. She lied on the record, but that's kind of what they wanted to happen because now they- Did she lie about something small that they knew was the truth? It was about when Ashley was actually coming back to the house, essentially, because it seems like they had decided that Ashley's alibi was going to be, we got into a fight and I was really upset and we just, I just kind of drove around. I don't know, really know where I ended up because I was just like so upset that I was driving around and that would make more sense of why her cell phone had pinged in all these places near Sandy because she didn't know where she was driving. And so maybe she was in... Pinellas Park, but she doesn't really know because she was just really upset because she got in a fight with her new husband. But they basically, Tracy had told Toby that she needed to memorize a script going into this sworn statement. She had to say very specific things about the timelines to make sure that maybe it would line up with when she was really there, but not really. So that like, like I said, like that there be, wouldn't be enough time for her to have done the murders. Yeah, but the cops know all the real times. They already know. And they talked to Ashley's mother. So they already know that there was already a previous attempt. They know. So they catch her in those lies again, saying like where she was. Also, there was no record of Toby, Tracy, or Ashley renting any videos at the place they said they went to. Hollywood video, baby. Remember those? Oh, yeah. So they were like, okay, they didn't rent the movies. They did get the Pizza Hut, but she probably shouldn't have said anything about the movie situation. So 
I guess that there's a, a rule in Florida. I don't know if it's still this way, but at least at this point, you get one chance to lie to the police. You get one Mulligan. So if you lie under oath and then you come back and you're like, oops, my bad, that was a lie. And I'd like to tell you the truth. Now you get like one chance to set the record straight before they haul you away from partnery. One literal get out of jail free card. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so after her deposition, they were like, oh, look, you just lied on the record. Here's all the proof we have against Ashley. And we don't know why you're lying for her. And if you lie again, you'd like to tell us again what happened, then you don't have any more chances and you're going to be charged with perjury. And at that point, she was like, oh, God, I just want to tell you everything because, yes, I was lying and I'm so sorry and I can't do this anymore. So Toby was a woman in her late 40s. She had been trained by Tracy for the last couple of years and he had really helped her out. She had gotten into some really bad accident and she had to like, I think sounds like relearn to like walk and run. And they got really close because she was spending three to five hours a week with him. Yeah. And she ended up losing 115 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Throughout this time that they had together. So they got really close. She really cared about him and she felt like vice versa. And she knew that he had a very chaotic dating life. She said that he wasn't dating very quality girls. There was a lot of drama all the time. And why she had believed him about Sandy was because he had been in another situation where she was literally present in the home when this ex-girlfriend had opened a door into her own face and told him that she was going to go to the cops and say he did it to her. So she was like, I had witnessed like one of his exes doing that. So when he came to me and said that about this bartender he had been dating, I didn't think it was crazy not to trust him. Because I had witnessed a situation where a woman did something similar to him. So she had believed him completely. And in fact, at the time of Sandy's murder, they were going in on a business together. They were business partners. They were opening their own gym and rehabilitation center. Because she had been an accountant for like 30 years. So she had some money saved up. She was the money person, the business. And he was the one who was going to run the programs. So when this all went down, he said to her look, I'm really scared. They're going to try to pin this on me, even though I had nothing to do with it. And I had nothing to do with the original thing. And so we need you to say you were with us. Now, I think she had been with Tracy that night, but she hadn't been with Ashley. But I'm sure just like you, she didn't imagine that Ashley was capable of this because it sounds like she was excited about Tracy ending up with Ashley because Ashley seemed like a really good girl. Yeah. So she was like, well, of course, Ashley didn't do it. And I was with Tracy. So whatever you need me to say, I'll just say for you guys. Yeah, because if anyone was going to do it, it, was, it wasn't going to be a 19-year-old little girl. It was going to be Tracy's. And he didn't do it because he was with her. So she believes him. And she's like, of course, I'll say whatever you want me to say. But things were getting very weird. They had also asked if they could move into her house because they thought their apartment was being watched or bugged. They were getting oh really God. paranoid. So she's like, of course, whatever you need during this time. And she's like, as soon as they moved into my house, things got really weird. I saw this totally different side of Tracy. She had never known that he was doing steroids. He was like shooting up in the house. He never slept. She said that she would come out of her bedroom to go to the bathroom. And he'd be in a living room in a chair facing her bedroom, staring at her. And it was almost like, 
I know everything. I know where you sleep. I know where you are. I know what you're doing. It was like she never so caught him scary. sleeping. And she saw a side of him that was very, very controlling, that he told Ashley what to eat, when to do things, when to speak, that all of a sudden this was not the relationship she thought it was. She was then scared to ask them to leave. Of because course. she was now getting intimidated and scared by this guy. And in fact... She's telling all this to the police and she's like, and they're outside right now. Like they're waiting for me because they knew I was coming to speak to you. So I want to help you and I don't want to be in trouble, but I don't know what to do. And they were like, well, we need your phone because we need to download all of the messages, all the communication, all the phone calls, anything that he has texted you regarding this cover up and lying to the police. And then they're like, also, like, we'd like to put, like, a wire on you so when you get back in the car, we can get that conversation recorded. So she agrees to do this, which is really risky business. And she's wearing the wire, but she doesn't have her phone because they have it because they're they're downloading it. But they can listen to her on the wire and they get back in. And she's like, well, I told him exactly what you wanted me to say. And the only thing that they pushed back with is that they have cell phone records basically saying like that she wasn't there. She wasn't Pinellas Park. And he's like, well, you just said you didn't know. She didn't know where she was driving. It's not your business. You don't know. You don't know. And like she was like, in my timeline, didn't make sense. He's like, what, do you have a stopwatch on? And, and, stuff. and he's like, well, where's your phone? And so she's, oh, my God. She's like. Before I went, I had like run some errands. So I think maybe I left it at the Walmart when I was running some errands. And he's like, well, we better go to the Walmart and get it, don't you think? So she is like flipping out. But luckily they heard this. So they had somebody, like one of the agents, like literally fly to the Walmart and like come in like a back door run to the person behind the customer service thing and be like, give me your vest, give me your vest. And then like showing their badge and then put the vest on and was at with her phone at the customer service kiosk. And so she was like flipping out. Toby's like freaking out because they're like walking in the Walmart and he's like, where do you think you put it? She's like, I don't know because she knows it's not there because it's with the police. And I guess he was like, maybe we should go see if anyone turned it in. And he like, she said he did not seem like he believed her. And they go over there. And she said as soon as she walked up, she recognized it as a police officer who was wearing the vest. They really took care of her. Yeah. They really like, took oh. care of her. That's really awesome. <laughs> but it was like dangerous. They did a couple more things with her. Like they had her get another subpoena delivered, which gave like a little bit more information to see what they would do. And they have pictures of them like outside of this gym talking to her and she's like, I don't know, guys, because they went to talk to my brother, which they did. And she was like, and they're going to arrest me for perjury. So she was like making it seem like the pressure was on her and she might roll to see what they would do. But it just got really dangerous because his behavior was getting more erratic. And at one point they accused her straight up of working with the police. And they were at the gym at a time where a lot of people were there. And they were like, well, if you want to prove it to us, you'll come back tonight after hours. And the cops were like, we're pulling you. You're no longer undercover because this guy is very dangerous. And they said at that point, they had also gathered enough intel and information to sufficiently prove that he was involved and he was trying to cover up the crime and lie to the police. On December 18th, 2003, both Tracy and Ashley Humphrey were arrested. 
And they went to work on Ashley. They needed her to turn on Tracy. Yep. At first, Ashley was extremely loyal to Tracy, even after they told her she could possibly get the death penalty for what she had done and that they had a lot of evidence that proved she was the one who pulled the trigger. So she at first was, I want to talk to my attorney. Absolutely not. Mm -mm -mm. But then they gave her lots of proof that her husband had lied to her about everything. They proved that he had never modeled. He had never played professional football. He never won any awards. They showed her his rap sheet. Here's pictures of the real injuries that Sandy and other women had suffered at his hands. And oh, also here are some statements from other women he was still sleeping with when they had gotten together, including the woman he assaulted. And did he ever tell you that he also had sexual relationships with men? Poor girl. Her head was spinning. And it was really this last one that broke her because I think that they specifically mentioned the guy he was with that sounds like the longest relationship who was still in his circle and in fact had become Ashley's hairstylist. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine finding out that my hairstylist used to shtup my husband. I know. So she lost it. This was the thing that put it over the edge. It was this betrayal. And at that point, she confessed to everything. She said that she had followed Sandy home from the green iguana and she had murdered her in cold blood at the behest of her husband that she had only married the day before. She said they can look up the phone records. They talked before, after, practically during because he was walking her through what to do. She was saying, like, if she doesn't roll down the window or what do I do? Do I break it? Do I shoot through it? Like, he had talked her through everything. He had also told her to wear oversized clothes and to, like, darken her face so she, on security cameras, would look like a black guy. Oh, wow. He's also racist. Mm-hmm. Worst human. <laughs> Yeah, and I didn't even get in. When he was saying that, like, three guys, he was like, oh, I'm going to get three N-word crackheads to gang rape you. That's what he was saying. It wasn't just three men. He was disgusting about it when he was threatening Sandy. And other people, other witnesses said that he had said something similar to them about, like, what he was going to do to Sandy if she went forward with the case. Over the top, like, horrible. Gross. Just horrible person. She says that... All of this was from Tracy, clearly, and that she felt that he had broken her down and brainwashed her. He had told her that this was the only way they could be together. She said, he verbally abused me and just was constantly making me feel the lesser to keep from losing him. I desperately just wanted to be with him. She said that she didn't want to go through with it, but she felt more terrified of the alternative, disappointing or losing Tracy. Because they were like, did you never think when you were walking up to her car, like, oh, hey, I could just turn around and not kill her? And she's like, yes, but the thought of going home to Tracy having not done it was scarier than killing someone. Wow. Yeah. So she was not going to make the same mistake twice, her life for somebody else. And she agreed to testify against Tracy in exchange for a 25-year sentence. Okay. Which is a good deal because... She could have been up for the death penalty or LWAPT very easily. With Tracy's prior record, 
his strong motivation. History and Ashley's testimony, the authorities felt like they likely had a very good chance of L-whopping him, at least. Like, this guy has a proven record of not being fit for society, and they wanted to put him away. But Tracy had said he wasn't going back to prison, and he meant it. Come hell or high water, he was not going to live the rest of his days on the inside. So Tracy told his inmate, buddies, that he was going to escape, and Andy, he did. No. Mm-hmm. Tracy was being held at the Hillsborough County Jail in Tampa while he awaited his trial on April 16th, 2004, and... They had to transfer him to the Pinellas County Jail before his trial. And it was in this transfer that he got the opportunity to escape from the Pinellas County Jail after arriving. But Tracy had been planning his escape from the first time he was arrested. He told a cellmate that he was going to get out, get a gun, and kill Toby because that would help Ashley out. He was still wanted to protect his wife who wasn't going to turn on him, he believed. He thought he had sufficiently brainwashed. He also incorrectly thought that she could not testify against him. Because they were married. Because they were married, but it's that they can't be compelled to testify against you. If they want to testify against you, they can. So he's like, well, she can't do anything to me, but I'm going to help her out by killing this bitch who is the only one that rolled on us. And then they won't have anything against Ashley, which they still had plenty against Ashley. So he told a cellmate that. And he said that after that, he was going to get out of town and he was going to go to Costa Rica or Amsterdam due to their extradition laws. He had big plans. So his first plan to get out of prison was to, he had some sort of a back injury and he was allowed to have like a small dose of pain medication. So he hoarded them and he planned to take 50 of the pills all at once so that he could have an overdose. And then they would take him to the medical ward where security was supposed to be lighter and then he was going to escape from there. But then they ended up going through everyone's cell and they found his hoard of pills. So they took him away. That didn't work. Then he was going to, there were some plumbers there doing some work and he planned to steal some wire cutters out of their toolbox and clip open the fence and just leave. So that didn't work out. Okay, Mr. Shawshank. (laughs) Yeah. In mid-April of 2004, Tracy was being transferred to Pinellas County and he did seize upon an opportunity to escape. It sounds like this was a perfect storm of a bunch of people along the way not doing the utmost of their job. And if only one of them had kind of screwed up or if one thing had changed, he wouldn't have been able to But everything. But it was like when you put everything together, it was a perfect storm and he was able to escape. Wow. So the first thing was that he was wearing street clothes for some reason. So he's not wearing a jumpsuit. They had handcuffed him in front of his body instead of in the back. Okay. And the person who was transporting him had not shackled him to the floor of the van like they are supposed to. Like in Con Air. Yes. Also, when the transport van went through to the Pinellas County Jail, which of course a county jail is going to have less strident security measures in general than a state prison, they're supposed to come in through one gate. Then the security guard closes the gate behind them before they open the next gate. 
That didn't happen. So both gates wide open. And then the woman who was driving the transport van got out and left them unattended in the van while she went to the booking area, just left them alone. So Tracy was noticing all of this. And there was a terrified pregnant woman who was also an inmate who was there for passing bad checks who was in the transport van with him and was terrified of him. And he's like, reach over and like basically push this like gauge up. It was like a screw to get out of the van. And no one had deadlocked the van from the outside. So the pregnant woman was able to like push it up enough to help him because she was scared of him. Of course. And then he got out of the van and he ran and they even saw him. Somebody saw him like running out the gate. And there was, like, some gap in, like, when they saw him and when somebody, like, actually started going after him. So, like, he had this, like, head start and he's just out in the wild because of all of those factors. It's like 10 things went wrong. Exactly. And he's wearing street clothes because for some reason they had put him back in his street clothes to transfer him. I guess he was going to wear something different at this jail. If you saw him on the street, you wouldn't even know unless you saw the handcuffs. Yeah, but you could also be like, what happened? <laughs> what Kagisha did your you bedroom. get into? Yeah. <laughs> so they immediately like blasted his face all over the TV, which was the real media of the time at this point. The television. <laughs> yes. And luckily he's like over six feet tall and completely shiny bald headed. So I feel like he might have stuck out. So a bunch of people saw him running around trying to figure out where he's going to go. And they were really worried he was going to go for Toby, of course. Now, Toby, this has all gone down like a year or more before this had happened. So she was finally getting her life back together. She was apparently at her pool with her phone and her beeper that the police had given her like away in the house, having a date in her backyard. (laughs) And the police are like trying to reach her. They're like paging her over and over again and calling her. She comes in and she's got like 40 pages and they're like, he's out. And she's like, are you shitting me? So they had to immediately send over officers, obviously, to protect her because they have no idea where he is. He was on the loose for several hours before a woman who was horse sitting a champion cow horse. (laughs) What's a cow horse? I don't even know what a cow horse is, but apparently this was like a number one premium champion cow horse was freaking out. Like she was acting real weird. And the woman said that she wasn't usually like this, this prize winning mare, cow horse. And so she called the police because she was like, that guy, I think he's in my area because my horse is acting very strangely. And I don't know if she saw him or not, or it was just because of the horse. They came to check it out and they were like, Arms. They were like, we're ready to go. We're going to check out everything. And it made sense kind of like where he'd been spotted that he would have been in this area. And so they went after him. They did find him in basically, it sounds like kind of like a suburban-y forest area. And they had like chased him down a ravine. And they said he was a big guy, but the sheriff's deputies that they sent after him were bigger. They were talking like size 13 feet motherfuckers over here. And they gave him a taste of what he had been doling out to women when he tried to resist arrest. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, they got him. But his mugshot, his like left eye is swollen shut. Like he looks beat to shit. Can't say I feel bad about that. Nope. 
So Tracy's trial began in February of 2006. The star witnesses against him were former business partner and client Toby White and his wife, Ashley Humphrey. The defense argued that Tracy had not pulled the trigger. Evidence showed that he wasn't anywhere near Sandy or her house when she was murdered and that a lovesick and jealous Ashley had cooked up the entire idea and executed Sandy all on her own volition against his desires. Oh, my God. If he was guilty of anything, it was simply trying to help his wife after the fact, after she did this horrible thing for love. So he got on the stand and tried to sell this story, but no one was buying it. After two and a half hours of deliberation, the jury said, you're guilty. You're guilty. You can't even give us this story for free. (laughs) You are for sure guilty. So Tracy was convicted for first-degree murder and received life in prison without the possibility of parole. As a little cherry on the top of that sentence Sunday, he was also given 15 additional years for his escape attempt. Yeah. The jury later said that they recommended an LWAP instead of the death penalty, though they could have suggested to the judge that he get the death penalty Because a big point of the prosecution's case was that he had murdered Sandy because he refused to go back to jail. Yeah. And so they were like, for this guy who fought so hard to stay out of prison, including his escape, hell for him is spending the rest of his natural life in prison. And Sandy's mother, Sandra Poole, agreed. She wanted him to live in prison without any power, thinking about what he had done for the rest of his life. Ironically, the maximum that Tracy would have been sentenced to if he had been convicted of kidnapping and assaulting Sandra would have been maybe 10 years. And they said even that likely would have been cut in half or more. Unreal. But instead, he will spend the rest of his life in prison. He did try to appeal at one point because they brought in The phone conversations, the phone records between him and Ashley when she was testifying and she was testifying to what the contents of these calls were. And his attorney tried to say that because you could prove that the calls were made, but you could not actually prove what was said, that they shouldn't have been entered in. And a judge said, nope, you're staying in prison. M. William Phelps wrote, with her courage to face this monster in court, some had said after the verdict, The Sandy Razo had essentially stopped a man from harming any more women. Sandy had, in effect, given her life for the sake of others. Sandy Razo was a hero, a martyr. I mean, it's true. She was. It's really sad that she had to give her life, but he's locked up forever. And I believe that he would have gone on for the rest of his life assaulting and maybe killing countless more women. Ashley was given the agreed-upon 25 years in jail, but with the provision that she served every single minute of those 25 years. There was no time off for good behavior in this scenario. She's doing her full 25. She is scheduled to be released from prison in December of 2028. She will be 46 years old. In 2017, Ashley appeared on Killer Women with Pierce Morgan, And she made what some considered a shocking confession. While Tracy was still the one who had meticulously planned Sandy's murder and their alibis, 
Ashley told Piers Morgan that it was her idea to kill Sandy to begin with. The investigators who looked into this case were shocked that she said this. She said, quote, I suggested, what if she were not to just show up in court? And that is where it started. And that's where it snowballed. I was the first to say it. I know she's probably been in jail thinking about this for 20 years, too, you know, like. Yeah, I didn't actually watch the show. I read an article in Huffington Post about it. So I don't know the contents of it, but M. William Phelps did a kind of an epilogue and he said that she had found religion in prison and she is going through a big redemption arc. So maybe this was part of owning up to her part of this murder. Yeah, what her like full responsibilities were for the crime. Yes, I agree. So the same year that she made this television appearance, 2017, was the year that she and Tracy were officially divorced. Oh, thank goodness. Another murderous love bites the dust, but those terrible tattoos, they still got them. Sadly. Hopefully she'll be able to get that removed in 2028. (laughs) Gosh, I hope so. So in conclusion, maybe think twice before getting inked, especially with a significant other's name. Yeah, always. And especially if that significant other is imagining where they should get their name tattooed on your body. On a first date. That red flag is on fire and you should run the other direction. Love murder red flag on the field. And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love so no one ends up with an egregious tramp stamp. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Love you guys. (laughs) 